divulge all my super secrets. And here we are, we're live! No super secrets to share with anyone because I've shared all of my with me. Hi, everybody. I just wanted to start the show today by telling you guys just how much you miss out on in the 10 minutes before the show. I'm going to start showing up early every week just so that I can learn things about Eric that you will never know. It is literally the best part of our show, the stuff that does not end up on our show. <laughs> Well, it's the best it's the best part of our show, but it's the stuff that would get us fired. I don't know. That's not true. That's not you are exaggerating. Well, how, how about how about questions? There would be questions. Oh, it's the it's the stuff that I think the kind of like the behind the scenes stuff. I you and I talked a little bit about this uh earlier in the week in our like us talking prior to the show about how I really love to see the behind the scenes stuff in whatever it is. So, so that's why I like that show with Jordan and, and the Chicago Bulls, the last dance um, that I find it so intriguing because you get to see the behind the scenes stuff. Um, I would think that some people would just be interested to hear kind of the behind the scenes conversations that we have. Do you, so. do you see, do you see Mike already starting trouble? I mean, he must've made that comment 20 seconds in. What do you say? I, I'm not open uh how dare eric not do this episode with a cigar hanging out of his mouth you know mike i had considered it i'm not even gonna lie however um it's much easier for me to set up the podcast in my house and um it's not that my wife doesn't want me smoking inside in fact we've had this conversation she likes the smell of cigars as do my kids although i don't allow them to be around me when i'm smoking because i don't want it to damage their lungs uh with secondhand smoke you know try to be a responsible dad uh, but uh, it, it's the fact that I don't want the house to smell like cigars because uh, I grew up when I was a kid and uh, my mom and her boyfriend were smoking inside for like the, maybe the first half of my childhood. Eventually they realized like, oh, the house really stinks. So you would have accepted an unlit one. I can grab one. It's just, it's just across, but across from me, but uh, you know, yeah. What book is it? Is it Fault in Our Stars, where the where the main the the main protagonist uh, walks around with a cigarette in his mouth, but he never lights it? He says something. There's, he says there's something empowering about uh, having having the the power of death right on on the tip of your tongue, but never lighting it. There, I, I don't I don't know because I don't read. Uh, you know. <laughs> Fiction books. Uh, I'll watch fiction. I read nonfiction. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a song from the uh, great Will Smith. Um, <laughs> and I forget, like, this was. You're, I, you, are, you are such a child of the 80s. Like, it's it's a little embarrassing I'm for born me. 87. Uh, so I, I get, does that make me a child of the eighties or does that make me a nineties kid? I don't know. But would being a nineties kid be less embarrassing? I would think that's more so. Nineties are having a comeback, bud. Yeah. So, so did parachute pants. That doesn't make them cool. Yes, it does. Parachute pants are cool. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Will Smith had a song. I forget, I forget which song it is. It might've, uh, it's one of his, like, I don't know, handful of hits that he had. And, uh, there's a line in his song about having a cigar but not lighting it, and I just that that line I can't I can't tell you enough how much that has affected my life and influenced me because I think did he just think it was cool to have an unlit cigar because then you're just a poser 
right? Like you're just trying to like play a part. And that really made caused me to no longer like Will Smith. In fact, I no longer watched the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which was one of the greatest shows of the nineties, you know, um, right behind step by step and, uh, and, uh, saved by the bell. So it's, it's good to know that, um, our, our, our friendship is so tenuously attached to any just fickle thing that you can find. The fact that that is the thing that turned you off of Will Smith is, <laughs> is, uh, is good to know. I'll keep it in mind. Yeah, I just I can't trust anyone who says, you know what, I'm going to portray myself as like, oh, I just think I'm cool by having an unlit cigar, like smoke it or don't smoke it like doesn't matter to me. By the way, um, some great comments from my article that posted yesterday. Um, I had some great conversations with Wes going back and forth. Um, Great brother in Christ, man. I really appreciate some of the things that he had to say. And um, some good comments on the page, and I'm just grateful for everybody that you know took the took the two minutes to to waste their time, uh, probably because there's nothing better to do. Yeah, did you hear that? Yes. Is and there the a in your kitchen? The kids are messing with me, man. They they stuck <laughs> something back here and they're trying to mess with me. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so just some some thank you for taking the time to read the article, and I hope it was edifying. Um, my my goal was just to to help elucidate some points and and help people understand. Um, well, I mean, the name of the show is Bible Banter, so if we're not bantering over the Bible, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it's edifying. Not only does it teach us how to have good conversations, like how to disagree and stuff like that, how to talk about certain things. But uh, I think people will realize as they listen to our show that you and I probably step in it from time, uh, you know, time and again. And as we do, maybe they get to see us kind of come hat in hand and seek their forgiveness and whatnot. So um, I pray that people are edified by that article and even what we talked about this past Tuesday. And uh, light up your cigars. Enjoy them. Um, But uh, not if you have underlying heart or lung conditions, because then that's just dumb. Before we uh, before we do our intro section, I want to give a quick shout out to Tom Logri. Uh, he's doing a lot of things behind the scenes. He's got a, a great page up for us, a, a, a Bible Banter podcast page. We've got a Facebook page as well, but I love that he's got something up on the Evan Christian Voices page, and he does almost all the work in the background. If any if anyone does any work on this show, it's either Tom and some Eric. I take no credit for anything other than the hour that I show up. It's probably 98% Tom, 2% Eric uh, on the behind the scenes work. Tom is uh, Tom is a real blessing, not only to us and to those who who partake in, in this show, uh, whether it's just listening to it with the newly published podcast or whether they're watching it on Facebook. But he also is a blessing to our denomination. He serves on the executive. I don't know if it's a council or committee. I can't, I can't ever tell the difference. But um, essentially the governing board for our denomination. He is the secretary. Um, there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not going to say it. Um, so he's the secretary. But he's also you know, the managing editor and kind of like the chief dude in charge for uh, Ever Christian Voices. He's really the driving force behind it. He has a passion for Ever Christian history and, and just seeing people um, 
he wants to see people in our denomination grow, churches flourish, and and most importantly, see Christ's name proclaimed. So thanks, Tom. You are the MVP of the day. MVP. I'll uh, I'll make the secretary joke. So you're saying that Tom is the secretary who makes everything happen behind the scenes? He's the Hillary Clinton of the denomination. <laughs> no. Where's that cricket when you need it? Yeah, that uh, – <laughs> wow. Oh my goodness! Well, we have half the listeners. Well, 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 I well I recover from my own self sabotage. Why don't you uh, talk about what you wanted to talk about to start the show? Oh yeah, so I just want uh, a couple of people have asked because um, some of you have noticed what uh, a lot of times I wear t-shirts. Um, let me let me take this this thing this banner down so that you can see. So a lot of people notice I wear t-shirts that say North Carolina. Ah, there we go, North Carolina Warriors on it. Um, North Carolina Warriors hockey. I get a sweatshirt that I've worn from time to time while on the show that says a uh, bunch of warriors. That's a play on the bunch of jerks motto that came out of the Carolina Hurricanes and kind of a feud with with uh, a famous announcer. Um, so the North Carolina Warriors is a disabled veterans hockey team. And, um, there it's managed by USA hockey in a sense, it's part of the warrior or warrior discipline of hockey that is nationally recognized. It's, it's its own charity of 501 C three with the express purpose of giving the outlet for disabled veterans. So that could be veterans that, um, have any sort of disability from all they need is like a 0% or even 10%. Um, rating from the VA. If you're a veteran, you know what that means. And as long as you have one of those ratings, you qualify to be a member of uh, the Warrior Hockey Program. I think there's like 30-something teams across the nation. So there's one here in North Carolina, and we have guys that come up from all the way from Myrtle Beach to we got one guy that comes from Tennessee. So we got people that come from all over. We mostly um, play in the Raleigh area in within a couple of hours of Raleigh, but we got people that come from quite a distance to play with us and, and it's fun. And we have like little, um, we have, uh, 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 games against other local, we played against some, uh, some police department, the, you know, a couple months ago down at Fort Bragg, which is about an hour from Raleigh, hour 15 from Raleigh. And man, that was a fun game. There, there's no feeling like getting to beat up on some, uh, on some police officers, man. That's pretty cool. And, <laughs> and it's legal <laughs> and you're outside their jurisdiction. So, um, so it's great. Uh, it, really fun, but we also have national tournaments and things like that. So like this past October, we went to Las Vegas, which was really cool. I've never been there before. Um, strange. <laughs> it was certainly strange, something that I had never thought I'd ever experience. But we actually made it to the championship game our, it, within the, and it was our first year of eligibility. So um, within the first year of being stood up, we made it to the national championship for the Warrior program, and, and we lost to Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Warriors. Um, they're actually sponsored by the the Philadelphia Flyers, which are an original six franchise within the NHL. Very famous, very um, very important franchise within the NHL, and they get a lot of support, a lot of support. So we get some great support from those in our community, and it's uh, it's good to help veterans and, and gives an outlet. And um, you know, recently, if you follow me on Facebook, there's been some guys throughout even this. Um, what do you call it? The lockdown that we're in or the self-isolation. I mean, we've lost warriors, not within the North Carolina organization, but throughout the entire warriors organization to suicide. So one of the 
aspects of this is trying to keep veterans connected and using hockey as a team building activity um, to, to keep us together. So um, something near and dear to my heart. If you want to learn more, you can look up USA Warrior Hockey. You can also um, <clears throat> you can also look up North Carolina Warriors Hockey and you can uh, there might be a donate button there, too. The donations go to paying for ice time, travel expenses, things like that. We're trying to make it as affordable for veterans uh, as possible. So you're going to keep the beard for your rest of your life, but not your teeth. Teeth are optional. Uh, beard is not. So, um, you know, when when Spurgeon talks in his great book, Lectures to My Students, I recommend it. Um, you know, he talks about the importance of a manly beard for the preacher. He never mentions teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to ask a quick question. Uh, I, w- I was just going to play it, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll exercise some maturity and I'll just reference it. Have you seen the famous scene from the the 1979 movie, The Warriors, where the guy's pounding the stick against the bottle and taunting them? Uh, you know, I think I know this. I, I don't think I've seen it, but I think I've seen like the, you know, in some in some capacity, seen the scene that you're talking about. It's it's something like that. He just goes, Warriors, come out to play. And he's pounding on some glass. Anytime I hear Warriors, it's the only thing I can think of. Well, uh, Warriors, of course, is kind of an homage to the profession that we all once partook in, which was to kill people. So there's that. I'm, I'm very thankful that we now just do it with uh, hockey sticks and pucks instead of battle axes. Well, I'll tell you, man, I've played a lot of sports in my life. I've played basketball, soccer, baseball, uh, football played a lot in hockey by far is the greatest team sport. It is one that really brings your team together and there's nothing like um, making it look like an accident when you hit someone. All right, Eric, Eric, now you're going to have to be really honest since becoming a Christian. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had a fight on the hockey rink? Well, I've only been playing hockey for a little less than a year. So, okay. All right. I haven't, I haven't been in a hockey fight before be being a Christian. So there's that. Uh, but since being a Christian, no, I haven't. I have, um, there are, you know, there's the occasional uh, situation in which I, you know, have to put myself in a place to, um, what's a good term for this, take someone out, uh, you know, <laughs> like, uh, so I, I moved from playing forward to, to defense, and part of a defenseman's responsibility is to clear the front of the net. And I can say with all honesty, I love clearing the front of the net more than I love scoring goals by far. Not even. Uh, I, I now I now have to tell a Bob Copeland story before we move on. Um, so Dad played college in or played college. Try <laughs> that again. Dad played uh, basketball in college at Berkshire. And his job was to go in and uh, foul the guy who was scoring. That was his whole job on the team. Not to get rebounds, not to score, not to pass. Just when someone on the other team was doing really well, they would send Bob in until he fouled out. Well, that's kind of like that's, – that's part of the game. That is part of the game. You know, it's not against the rules to foul someone. That's why they have it in the rules that – so many foul, five fouls, and you're ejected yeah. from the game. Rest is against the rules to foul someone. That's why it's called a foul. 
No, it's within the con. It's within the confines of kind of like a fight in hockey. Now, in men's league hockey, everybody's going to wake up and and go to work the next day. So the people who fight in men's league uh, need to chill. All right. Uh, although there is the occasion in which your jimmies get get uh, get um, rustled, and you have to, you know, sometimes you got to stick up for your buddy or, or whatever. You know, I'm not saying that I've done that, but I, I've seen it happen. I've I'm not saying that I advocated it, but you know, I'm not saying uh, that I said don't do it either. So see, see now, see now, you're making me tell these Bob Copeland stories. Now I have to tell another one. Uh, Bob also played soccer in college because apparently that's all he did at college was just played all the sports year round. And uh, apparently one time, one of the other one of the players on the other team was treating one of his teammates pretty badly. So uh, my dad, his his front four teeth are all false, so he can take them out. So apparently he took out his uh, mouthpiece and said, if you keep this up, I'm going to make you look like me. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> um, I, would, before we, I would say that's not part of the game. Before we get to the, the main part, uh, main subject today, I just want to give a shout out to Mark Wolfington, who is always firing on all four cylinders or six cylinders. Or, you know what? How many, how many cylinders, cylinders does he have? Man. What's that? Huh? How many cylinders yeah. does he have, you think? Mark, I, I would say six because, like, he's getting up there a little bit in age, and I know he's got some pre-existing conditions, but I give him a solid six. Wow, that's that's rough, man. Well, how many are we supposed to – how many – you can't have more than eight. I would uh, – some vehicles have 12 cylinders, don't they? Like a like a big uh, – like a an RV or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but those are like Olympic champions. Mark's one of my favorite people, but he's never winning gold. I would say, you know, he's got his hands in a lot of cookie jars. He he's got a, he's got some big, broad shoulders, and I mean that not in like a hefty way. I mean that is like a, he can take on a lot of a lot of weight. Um, I I might do eight cylinders, man. All right. Well, we know who Eric's man crush is. Should we talk about the subject of the day? Mark is one of my favorite favorite people. Me too. Yeah. Solid dude. Yeah. And I, I'm shouting him out because did you see his comments after your Will Smith confession? Yeah, he 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 said that I uh that I definitely don't get jiggy with it anymore. And that actually might be from the song, like what I said. He, oh, I'm, oh, oh I'm sure I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. I, uh, I actually sometimes when Mark gets on here, I fear for my job because I think he might just replace me someday. One day I'll get on Facebook and Mark will just be co-hosting Bible Vampire and that'll be it for me. I thought you meant it at your church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he could take that one too. <laughs> um, you know, there are worse people to be replaced by. It, I, to me, it would be an honor to be replaced by by such a such a man. So. All right, are we done? Are we done talking trash on Mark yet? As fun as this is, how are we talking trash? Guy. We're building him up. I said he was a six-cylinder man, so you say what you got to say, but that's what I said. Hey, you tore him down. You're the bucket kicker. I'm the I did not tear him down. Six cylinders is a fine car. Take you from point A to point B. You try and just you just try and tear people down, man. <sighs> we're 20 minutes in. We've not even touched the topic. Can we? Can don't even remember what we were talking about. Oh, priorities. Ah, well, that's kind of fitting. <laughs> that's really fitting, man. Um, 
So we were supposed to talk about this on Monday until we got off, <laughs> until we started on a tangent about uh, cigar smoking and Christian liberty, which I think was an edifying conversation. I think there were probably some things I would have liked to say a little bit differently, but hopefully if you go and read my article on Ever Christian Voices called Stop Cigar Shaming, um, then you'll maybe see some of that. So uh, by no, the way, no, before you get into no, priority, no. we always start with like saying explaining our names that we have in the bottom. So yours says Bobby Ropes and mine mine says bearded till I die. Can you just explain what Bobby Ropes means? Yeah, it's my hip hop name, bro. Wait, are, are you serious? Yeah. yeah. Spit, spit a little, can, you, can you spit a little something? No, no, I don't. So I'm not an MC. Uh I'm a B-boy. Okay. Are you That's being it. serious? Huh? Are you being serious? Yeah. Okay, so for those who are not uh, indoctrinated into the hip-hop culture like you and I, um, can you explain for our audience what a uh, beat boy is? Yes, yes. All right. So uh, hip-hop, foundational hip-hop, real hip-hop, uh, before it all got commercialized in the 90s, the, uh, there, there are four art forms, right? You've got writing, emceeing, uh, DJing, and b-boying. And writing is not like writing poetry, it's graffiti. And then um, MC is what we now call rap, although back, it really included more than that. It had, it had to do with being able to, uh, you know, lead an audience, right? So that's why we call someone an MC today. They're the ones in charge of the show. MC, that's what MCs did, and uh, freestyling was part of it. And then you've got DJs who take care of the music. And then you've got the beat boys or the B-boys. Those are the guys who dance to the breaks. Way back when, tracks had breaks, instrumental breaks. And when a break would come on, the B-boys would get down on the floor and do the kind of dancing uh, that B-boys do. And if you don't know what B-boying is, uh, if you've ever seen a guy spinning on his head or his hands or dancing way down on the floor, he whether or not he knew it, he was B-boying. So this is, uh, I think, a request on behalf of our audience that I have to make. We need video proof of you breakdancing or there's no, uh, we don't believe you. You, you. you don't want that because when I say I'm a b-boy, what I mean is I used to be one. And even when I was, I was really bad at it. So you don't, you don't want the video proof. You're just going to have to take my word for it. Uh, I don't. So uh, I mean, proof. you're really going to make me do this. All right. At least people can go and no, you don't got to do it right now, man. Hang on. It was not, not going to take me long. I'm just going to do one you post. Shot, you post shot. Oh my goodness. It's fine. We can't I'm see anything. We can't see anything. <sighs> well, I'm going to move the camera. At a, at a blank wall. Okay. There we go. Okay. There we go. <sighs> All right. You ready? Can you see the floor? You gotta be able to see the floor in order for this to work. Okay. Now, trust me, no one will make fun of you. Hold up, let me. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I got, I got one more. I got one more in me. <laughs> the only way that could have been better is if one of your kids walked in and was like, "Daddy, no." <laughs> There you go. Oh my goodness, my face is as red as my microphone. <laughs> All right. Oh, Apparently, man. we're not going to get to much today. This I is needed, just a good... <laughs> I needed that. Wow. 
this is a day. This is uh, the you know Tom. Uh, Tom's listening. I hope that when he when he downloads this video, strips the audio, and puts it into the podcast form on the website, that for the picture he takes that you just standing on your head, uh, so that the people who are who are listening and not watching can see what we just saw. Um, Wow. So in mind, Bearded Till I Die, it's a play on Sunderland Till I Die, which is available on Netflix. There is two seasons. Don't listen to it or don't watch it if you are sensitive to language. There is some sensitive language in there. Um, but that's really the, the only thing that's probably bad about that show. But it's very interesting because you get to see, again, the bat, behind the scenes stuff about an English football club, or as we call it here in the United States of America, soccer. And it is fascinating and heartbreaking at the same time. So, all right. Should we try to talk about priorities now that we're 25 minutes in? <laughs> talk about not really prioritizing. I think that this is the part of the show that the people really, really enjoy is us, you know, smack talking and talking about just random stuff. I mean, it's the part that I enjoy, but that, at the same time, the, the title of the show isn't just banter. So maybe we should make an attempt. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <coughs> oh, man. Sorry, the coffee went down the wrong way. So we're talking about priorities, man. So as we are discussing, per, I think, personal ministry priorities, let's just tease some of this out um, because you and I are both pastors. Um, I do a little bit of writing and um, some and by, other things. And by, and by writing, Eric means writing articles and, and books, not graffitiing on public property. This is correct. I think that graffitiing on public property is a crime and you should pay the piper, so to speak. So uh, break in the other, law. In other words, Eric hates hip hop. Go on. Um, some hip hop. Yeah, I do hate. But the, there's that, some other this is the secret reason you actually don't like Will Smith. It's just because you're not down with hip hop. That's okay. <laughs> You're, well, first you're, off, I, don't, I don't think Will Smith is down with hip hop. Let's let's be real, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, uh, but that's beside the point. Um, so priorities. So so we have a lot of things on our table. I'm a member of a couple of different boards. Um, I've been asked to serve on more. Um, you know, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. Um, all these different things. So how do you prioritize things? But also like, how do you prioritize your own reading or listening, like your consumption of things? How do you prioritize, say, Bible reading or reading of, of the Puritans or other things? <laughs> Tammy is very upset that you don't like Will Smith. You're going to have to have a conversation. Yeah, that's, with that's, my, that's my sister. Uh, so just to recap, Tammy, you can go back and listen. But um, the reason I don't like Will Smith, which I'm kind of joking about, but there is some truth to it, is that in one of his songs from the 90s, he says uh, that he has a cigar, but he doesn't light it. And it's kind of like, well, what's the point? You're just trying to be cool. Don't, you know, either smoke or don't smoke. Like, it's not a big deal to me. I don't care, but um, don't be a poser. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so what which uh, elements of priority should we start with? Because you're right. There's a lot of angles from which we can discuss this. There's priorities in life. There's priorities in work. There's priorities in ministry. There's priorities in uh, education and yeah. learning. So how do you want to start? First off, Meredith, best comment of the day, Puritans above all, absolute first. Kids, get to the back of the line. Holla! I'm with it, Meredith. 
I think that's a reference I'm too young for. Um, Puritans, man. Puritans, Puritan authors, Puritan theologians and pastors. Oh, you know. I, I thought it was a Will Smith line. <laughs> Golly, get past Will Smith, man. Good grief. Um, so, uh, so let's start with like just personal priorities, Luke. In your own life, what does, you know, and obviously ministry priorities kind of take, you know, do take root in that because it is your, um, not just a calling, but it is your, um, vocation too. So what does that look like in, in your life? What are your priorities? Yeah, I, I sort of like to take a really simple um, explanation in terms of if I were to list sort of the priorities from one to five, I would go with God, my wife, my children, um, my work, and then my church. And it's tough because for you and I, those last two are pretty interrelated. But um, to some extent, I do try to separate those things as much as I can in that um, I'm not necessarily a part. I'm sure we'll get into this, too. I'm not necessarily a part of everything that happens in my church. There are things I'm responsible for. And then, then there are things that I participate in in the same way that anyone else would. But that's sort of the... Um, that's what I that what I strive for in terms of priorities. Yep, that, I'm I'm with it. I wholeheartedly agree with all that you just said. And and I think I think there's a bit of a generational gap when it comes to that. Not necessarily with the people um, one generation above us, but more like two and three generations. Where I've heard I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard a lot of those older guys say things like, "If you honor the church, God will honor your family." And I, I think there was sort of a pattern of, I think, I don't think the priorities that you and I agree on are necessarily universally agreed on by pastors. So it's, I don't, we won't necessarily have a long conversation about this, but uh, I, I would just point that out that that is, that is not necessarily universally agreed upon amongst pastors in our denomination. Yeah, that's, that's, that'd be tough to hear, uh, you know, someone say like an older pastor, because I mean, prevailing wisdom from guys that are older than us, and you know, will clearly say like, you need to take care of your family first before you take care of the church. Because if you don't take care of your family, you are therefore unqualified to care for your congregation. Because one of the one of the qualifications to be an elder, um, which is also a pastor, as laid out in First Timothy, is what managing your household well. Oh yeah, oh I, you, know, I, you have to lead yeah. your family well, or you can't lead the church. You are disqualified. Yeah, and that and that's I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's key to this conversation is looking at those qualifications. Is it in First Timothy three that we see that we see specifically the ones you're talking about where it talks? I think I think it's in First Timothy three that we have the great. I mean, it's mentioned several places about managing your household well. Yeah. But I think First Timothy three is the one that has the most material about that, mm -hmm. and it makes it so clear that if um, your family is not first then you don't even qualify for ministry. Right. Now, this is this is not to say that you can have your priorities wrong, that if you have your priorities wrong, God won't use you, because I'm certain that God does, and God is gracious where I know there are um, kids who grew up with, uh, you know, workaholic pastors for fathers, and they turned out okay. Mm -hmm. uh, however, our, our, we are not striving for, you know, let's just do what we want to do and hope God can make it work. We want the best. We want the best for 
Um, first of all, that which honors God, mm-hmm. but also that which is best for us, for our families, and for our churches. And I'm convinced that uh, you are spot on in interpreting those qualifications for leaders in exactly the way you do, which is to say that your family comes before your work. Um, and uh, I, I haven't been in this uh, racket for that long, but that's the way it's been since I started, and I've not had any regrets yet. Well, you have been in this racket for your entire life. Your dad, uh, you, you, you know, were born into a pastor's family. And I don't think we've ever talked about you being a pastor's kid. Maybe that's time for a future podcast. But, um, you know, one of the Barnabas Piper, the son of, of the famous John Piper, I haven't read the book, but I've heard about it. Um, but he wrote a book about what it was like to grow up under the, uh, under the instruction of John Piper, his dad. And if you know John Piper, he's like a no frills kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they ever had a television set. I think I, I heard that somewhere. Um, it's true. He did to this day. He doesn't own a TV. Yeah, and and in that book, he kind of elus- he he kind of shares some of the struggles that he had and maybe possibly sinful behavior um, of John and his dad. In in that book, from what I've heard, um, brought some reconciliation, some some healing between him and his dad, which is incredibly important. Because let's face it, I mean, John Piper, as much as we might like his preaching or his books, I mean, um, his book on Christian Christian hedonism is uh, Desiring God is phenomenal. But we as pastors and dads and husbands, dude, we still have to take out the trash, right? Like I still, I still changed my kids' diapers when they were babies, but we also make mistakes, um, we also sin against our wives and our kids. Um, you know, we are normal people in that sense. So God has certainly called us to a, to a specific role within the church, but he also calls us to be husbands and fathers. Now, the, the speaking of firing in all cylinders, the comment section is at it again. Let's, let's address some of these. First of all, Meredith, I don't think it means anything for a 29-year-old to call you old. That's like an 89-year-old calling you young. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that to mean very much. Um, Mark has an interesting comment. <laughs> My name is Pastor XYZ. <laughs> Correct. My name is not Pastor. It's just a title. Yeah. Um, the old mindset leads to divorces and adult pastors' kids who want nothing to do with the church. Now, thankfully, I don't think that's always the case. I've definitely seen families where priorities were slightly different. I, I think for sure, if you neglect your family, um, there are consequences, but I, I think there are some of that old guard who sort of had family as important, but that the uh, the ministry of the church would come before them. And I don't I don't see all of them as necessarily now in broken families. Um, well, it's kind of it, one of the struggles for pastors, right? So I'm I'm someone you're talking about workaholic pastors. Um, I can like right here. I'm showing you my headphones. And I've worn them on the podcast before. If I, and by the way, I bought these a couple of weeks ago. Thanks for everyone who gave me the recommendations. And these ones are really good. Um, these JBLs, but if I put these on and I'm with my laptop or, or iPad and I'm sitting there and I'm typing and I could be there for six hours, not even know anyone around me, unless I have to take a bathroom break. That is it. Whether it's coffee or water, you know, I got that right next to me. Occasionally I might have a cigar next to me and I'm just typing away, whether it's uh, preparing material for my church, maybe it's a sermon, whatever it might be, you know, the previous article that I just, you know, that uh, I shared about uh, that I wrote, 
um, I can work, man. And, and, you know, when I was in the army, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I was pretty good at, I could sit down, I used to dip tobacco. So um, I don't recommend it, but I would uh, sit there and I could be really good. I was really good at pretty much data mining and putting in. So I was really good at just that type of work. I could sit there with an energy drink, uh, my dip, and just sit there for hours on end and continue to work. I have that in me and I need people in my life to say, stop, like stop working. And sometimes my wife does it. She's really learned. We've been married coming up on 10 years and praise God for the gift that she is to me. I don't deserve her. Um, But she has learned over the course of this 10 years when it's healthy to say, stop working. And when she just needs to let me go. Yeah. Um, in the last few days, I've been kind of in a mindset of I need to go, like I need to work. Mm-hmm. And, um, and part of that could be like part of the healing process or mourning process with my mom recently passing away. Um, I, or it could just be that God's working in me right now. I really need to get this stuff done. I, I, Wes is one of my favorite contributors. Glenn, if you're still on, tell us what you disagree about. We love it when people hold their feet to the fire. It it, it just makes us better. So don't be don't be afraid to voice the disagreement. I'm willing so, to, willing to be corrected. And, and Wes is just giving me a hard time. I know he is. Um, <laughs> you know about he, you know his comment is okay. Now you're coming out against chewing tobacco. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm saying that it is uh, statistics show that it's far less healthy than um, than smoking. Uh, um, uh, cigars and actually you know it's one thing like I've met people who've lost their job because of chewing tobacco Um, that's not good (laughs) you know that is very drastic no one wants that so uh, hey I'm not saying it's a sin I'm saying it's you know well we also I I don't recommend it we also mentioned in uh in the podcast on Tuesday that there's clearly something wrong about um uh addiction <laughs> that no matter what the substance is like if it becomes something addictive it, it's now become an idol it's sin no matter what it is All right, i want to read glenn's comment here because i'm really curious about this times growing up when my dad had to go be with the grieving family oh yeah yeah so let me clarify something um i i'm totally in agreement with you and there were there were times that my dad had to do that and there are times um no, I, I, I know I know exactly what he's saying. Because I can think of times growing up when he, dad would get a call. And same thing, I'm not saying that like if I get a call, I won't go. There are definitely times when you get a phone call and you need to go be with the family, right? Yeah. I think the point Eric and I are making is not that um, you're never going to do work over family. The issue that I think we see more so is the people who take the approach of it's always that way. So if I get if I get a phone call from a family where like they need to see me, I go. But if I don't, I don't go looking for work, right? Yeah. That that that's more of the workaholism. I'm I'm we're actually totally in agreement, Glenn. That was I had similar experiences with my father. Look, there are times that I'm home with my kids and I get a call and I gotta go. And I don't think that's necessarily having your priorities out of order. Sometimes you gotta go, and that's that's gonna be the case in any type of work. Perfect example, you know, perfect example has popped up today um, of kind of the opposite effect where I'm trying to get some work done and it's my daughter's 10th birthday today. So it's her 10th birthday today and we had like a Zoom birthday party for her and some friends and family. So I was able to have the flexibility of kind of taking an hour off to handle that and get back into work. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to have that, 
that uh, as a possibility. So, you know, you're going to have to miss kids uh, games. You're going to have to miss those types of things. You know, I, I think of it this way. I'm probably not going to make all my kids games. I'm going to make as many as I can. Mm-hmm. But if my kid, if my kid's in a play and it only shows up once, like there's only one showing of this play, I'm going to do everything I can to make it there. I, I can't give you a scenario in which I would not make it. You know, if someone yeah. said, hey, I need you here because I lost a loved one that might be able to wait until after the play. You know what I mean? Like this yeah. is the one time, one chance I have to, you know, and part of that is my mentality. I, I can't, I come with a mentality of being in the army. I've seen life or death situations. Most things in the church are not life and death. Mm-hmm. Um, the gospel is life and death, right? The redemptive work of Christ is life and life and death, but some things can be left for tomorrow. And it's trying to understand those things. Well, I think the other piece here um, is that, the pastor is not the only leader of the church, right? Absolutely. So, so if the pastor is the only leader of your church, your church is not set up the way that God calls. Right. Yeah. Well, you, I think you and I agree about this, this plurality of elders. There are others who might dispute that. Um, so let me, let, me sort of, let me sort of share the approach that I take to this, to um, unexpected work and emergency calls. And I'll be curious to get your thoughts, because I think you take a very different Cases where pastor consistently ignores the need. Yeah, I think that's more what we're talking about, Glenn. It's not, look, there are going to be emergency situations. I've had them. And, there, and I was at home and I left because I needed to, I, that was that was the priority in that moment. However, here's sort of how, how I've learned to deal with this stuff is um, I like to treat unexpected work as borrowed time. So if I got to go and take care of something, um, if there's an emergency, if someone really needs to talk and I need to take some time, I normally wouldn't be working. I do. And I try to give that time back to my family, maybe the next week when there's not those things. So anytime that something comes up, I'm going to take care of it, but I'm also not afraid because I have the flexibility to do this. I'm not afraid to go in a little bit later or come home a little bit early the next day, um, to make sure that I'm giving that time back to my family. How many hours do you think, how many hours do you think you probably, you know, you, you quote unquote work? It's hard. It's hard to quantify as a pastor. It's, it, it's, it's super not, challenging. Though. See, this is, this is where you and I are going to have a bit of a fight today. I think okay. um, it's not hard to quantify. I shoot for 40. There are some weeks that it's going to be more than that. Cause I'm going to get calls or things are going to come up. And there are going to be some weeks that if I had a week before that was crazy, there was a funeral and a bunch of other stuff that came up. Um, I'm not afraid to work a little bit less than that. That's fair. But I mean, it's hard to quantify in the sense of like, do you, if it takes you an hour to go visit someone and an hour to come back and you spent an hour with them, is that one hour of work or is that three oh, hours? Of work? Oh, no, I don't no, see. I think, I think, I think if you're telling that one hour of work, you're making it too complicated. I don't see any reason why we shouldn't try to try to treat hours the same way that almost anyone else would. See, uh, I don't look at them. See, I look at work differently than you do. So I, cause I kind of look at my life just as I, I don't uh, section it off. Right. I don't make categories necessarily of my life. That's why it's probably hard to, I, I feel like I'm always at all times, a dad, I'm always at all times, a husband, I'm mm-hmm. always at times a pastor too. So all of these things overlap. So like sure. I could, I could get a call tonight at seven o'clock and someone just saying like, Hey, I just, you know, maybe they want like a quick text chat, right? I don't, 
I don't write that down like, ooh, spent 25 minutes texting with. Yeah. You know, so, so I agree with you. I agree with you on that point. I don't log a, t- a time, you know, every time someone calls or texts me at home, I just take the call, answer the text, or I don't, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes I'm not able to take the call or the text and I save it for the next day. But that's no, actually been the most difficult thing for me to learn. Say again? It's been one of the most difficult things for me to learn is to like see that I have a text and mm-hmm. not respond. Well, well, so there's the, the other thing that is um, a struggle for you, and I, I, don't, I don't mind bringing this up because you brought it up before on the show yourself, is you don't always take a day off during the week. I don't think I've brought that up. Uh, I think I brought that up uh, outside of the show, but that's, but that, I'm, I'm you know, pretty, that's. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you mentioned, if I, if I'm the first one to mention that, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be the one to bring that up. It is a matter of sinfulness. I, you know, it is something that I have been struggling with, um, in a matter which I, I try to take before the Lord, because recently, like since the COVID thing, dude, I've been, I've been working more than I was before. And, and, and like, just, and I mean, like, getting it man like going after certain things and, and some of it's just sitting there and trying to think through something um some of it's looking at articles you know just trying to help a lot of a pastor's job is to sit there and think mm-hmm. and the way that yeah. my mind is made up like i don't know if i'm just screwed up which i know i am but I, I don't know if it's just part of that that like i i focus on something so much i can't sl- i can't do anything unless i'm making progress in it yeah so and, and i'll and I'll throw this in there. Like uh, there are definitely times when I'm at home in the evening and I'm thinking about my message. I don't log that as, as work time, despite the fact that my attention's there. But honestly, Eric, I think that kind of highlights a big part of, and Glenn, thank you for commenting. And I'm, I'm glad that you pressed me a little bit so that I could clarify, because I think to the point that Eric made earlier, a lot of the stuff overlaps. So it's not as simple as well, because this thing's more important, I'm always going to choose it over the other thing. Well, no, there are going to be times that you give attention to this and attention to that. But I think that actually strikes at the heart of um, part of the problem here with priorities, which is attention. One of the things that I've had to learn is just because I'm home doesn't mean I'm present. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is very easy for me to be at home and for my mind to still be at work. And I think that's actually where a lot of these priorities get mixed up, especially with um, men who tend to be sort of think about one thing at a time. Uh, I think there are actually a lot of workaholics who aren't spending 60, 70, 80 hours a week at their job, but they come home and in some ways they never arrive. And that's something I've had to recognize is time spent at home is actually not nearly as important as the attention that I give my family when I am home. Yeah, it's it's hard. And I've been doing this better probably in the last week or so. And I think part of that is just the, you know, the, uh, having gone away for a couple of days to go visit my sister and, and her family up in Mass with my mom passing. But I'm, I'm trying to spend a little bit more time and like, all right put everything away and like I'll watch something with the kids. Like they watch, they watch this YouTube channel and, and it's fat. It's actually pretty fun to watch. Um, Cause most of the time, like if the TV is on and like I'm in the room, I usually change it to like something mm-hmm. like sports or, or right. something. Uh, so now like kind of deferring, showing deference a little bit towards my kids in that, in that thing um, I think is helpful because now I can spend time with them. I can see what they're enjoying. I can kind of discern on whether or not this is good for them to be co- consuming. Um, and, and we can be there as a family. So kind of enjoying some of those things. Hmm. 
Uh, Carolyn says, had that prep when I was working on a difficult work problem. It takes focus to disconnect from work. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on, Carolyn, that a lot of this has to do with it, um, intentionality. So there, there are some pastors who are happy working 40 hours a week. There are some who maybe work more like 60. And I'm not going to say that one of them is right and the other is wrong. Um, but if the guy who's working 40 goes home and is distracted, uh, I would say he's a worse father than the guy who goes 60 but comes home and is present. I think that's right. And I also think, you know, I, I meant to say this earlier. I look at the ministry uh, the same way that I looked at things in the military. I didn't necessarily look for, hey, I need to clock my 40 hours or 50 hours or whatever that might be. Um, in fact, if you're in the military and you're only working 50 hours, you're you're getting by. You're skating by. Trust me, it, it takes a lot more than that. But in the ministry, um, in some context, if you're only working 50 hours, you're probably skating by too. Um so Luke only working 40. I mean, I'm trying to heap condemnation all over that. <laughs> no, no, no. The difference, there is there is a difference I think, in in um approach. Let, let's get to that in a minute. Well, well, I, let, let, let me just let me just get to the point I was trying to make is I look at tasks. I look at what has to get done and I try to prioritize as to how important these things are, you know, to the kingdom and the grand there in the grand narrative of, uh, of stuff. But also, how much time is this going to take? Can I accomplish it now, or is it a longer project? And try to, you know, kind of chip away at that. So, I look at less time spent and more on what did what got accomplished. So, for me, it'd be hard to quantify how much time I I technically work. Yeah, and, and I and I should be clear, I don't log hours every day. What I do, what I you clock out at three o'clock? Huh? Sounds like you clock out at three. No, no, four. Eight at ten. Out of three. Uh, uh, but see, but see, I do. <laughs> um, I but I do, I do have a schedule, right? So I have regular hours that I always work. Now sometimes I get called during times that aren't hours, and I go. But generally, there's there's a schedule I try to follow. Um, now I want to I want to address something Glenn just said, um, and much love for Brother Ed, a great man of God and uh, a dearly beloved pastor for many years. Um, but your comment, Glenn, about him sometimes feeling like a failure because he couldn't fix something, I actually think, and I'm not saying Ed had this problem, but you've, but you've raised this point. I think a lot of workaholism actually comes from a problem with Christian identity, where we begin to find our worth and our work in what we do rather than in Christ and who we are in him because of who he is and what he's done. And when you have that sense of identity right, you can work 30 hours or 80, and you're still going to be in the sweet spot because you're going to be seeking to honor God, right, rather than trying to measure up. Yeah, I think that's good. And I think, um, you know, Wes asked a good question on whether or not, you know, what we use, like if we use a schedule or a planner or a bullet journal um, on logging things. Eric's Air, uh, dogs are guests today. Yeah, man. And my my son's doing something. I don't know what he's trying to do, but I think he's trying to escape the house. So uh, <laughs> sorry for the dogs, but okay. um, yeah. So so I I've, I'm gonna kill these animals, bud. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's really okay. Here, just just mute yourself for a minute. Go calm the animals, and I'll make a point. Um, 
Wes, yes, I use uh, a planner. And in fact, one of the things I've had to learn about myself is if I don't put something on my calendar, it doesn't get done. There are some people who are really good at sort of managing a lot of things in their heads and, and multiple tasks. Um, for me, I'm just, a, I, honestly, I'm a bit of a flaky person. And so I've even, I've even told some of my, <laughs> I've even told some of my congregants, like, hey, if you don't see me write it down, bug me. Because if I don't write it down, it's going to leave my head. Um, so not only do I use a calendar, almost everything I do goes onto the calendar so that it gets done. Use a planner to help compile my board reports. They want to see numbers, stats. Oh, boy. So uh, our, numbers our and stats are of the devil. <laughs> Mark, you need to teach your church uh, to not focus on numbers. So when I when I when I first got here, um, the 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 expectation for the pastor's report was very much numbers and stats, and thankfully, um, I was able to convince them, and it didn't take too much convincing. They were they were pretty pretty gracious. I was able to convince them that it would be better for me to give them a larger view of the things that I was accomplishing over the course of that month, rather than the number of phone calls or visits that I did. So. Thankfully, I'm I'm not in a situation where I have to track numbers. Oh, okay, I was thinking that he meant numbers as in like uh, attendance and, and stuff like that, and Sunday school attendance and all that stuff. Well, I, I'm not I, I'm not sure how that's the pastor's responsibility, anyways. Yeah, I don't. Well, it's it is in churches that think that your um, attendance rises and falls with the past, you know, personality-driven churches and, and ones that. Um, but I don't keep track of phone calls. I tried that at first, but it became so cumbersome. It takes everything for me. Like sometimes when I do visitation and I'm supposed to keep track of mileage, I uh, I was went like two months without turning in my mileage and got to an official board meeting and someone's like, hey, have you not been visiting? And they're like, I know that's not true because you came and visited me. And I said, yeah, I totally do. Mm -hmm. I just don't turn the stuff in or like it might take me a couple of weeks to write it down because I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible mm -hmm. at record keeping like that uh, because I'd rather just go and do. Yeah. And, um, you know, is. Uh, yep. Yep. Exactly. Mark, exact, exactly what exactly what was what was the sort of the standard standard passage report when I arrived. Same kind yeah, of thing. And I've. I've had, you know, some conversation with some folks about like, cause we have to give a pastor's report for our denomination. And I, I think that although some of those things can be helpful in tracking uh, productiveness, as far as like, it, it, but it, uh, productiveness, as far as it also shows how we're uniquely gifted, because like for me, if I may, I, I focus on trying to make three phone calls or three visits uh, a week three phone calls, three visits, which for me, I can handle. If I, I know people that can make three visits or three phone calls a day. Mm -hmm. If I did three visits or three phone calls a day, there would be no sermon on Sunday. And I would spend the, I would probably have to sleep 15 hours because um, to me, like I'm, I love, I do, I genuinely love people, but my personality is such that when I'm with people, um, it, it drains my creative juices. It drains my energy where I can't really do much. So um, I try to space that out. Some weeks, man, I, I might make 10 phone calls, 10 visits, and, and just because of what's going on that week, and that's fine, and I'm okay with that. So um, what, are, 
there, there's something else here that I think we need to bring up that I think is connected to some of what Mark is talking about. And I don't, I don't, I've been to Mark's church, love the people there. So I'm not making a judgment of his church. I have no idea if this is the case there or not. One of the things that I can really brag about Central as doing is they made my job description and expectations for me so crystal clear, which is what I think is a part of why there there's less, they feel less need constantly be tracking numbers is because they've communicated so clearly what I'm expected to, to do. So for example, it is written into my job description that I am to visit every family of the church at least once a year. Mm-hmm. And I report I report to the um the deacons monthly. And so that's at the end of the year, that's something that we talk about. Like, hey, there are 30 families in our church. How many of them did you visit? And so there are those things, like those expectations are just so clear that I think there's less need for the constant um, um, micromanaging and checking numbers because they've done such a great job. And look, I'll tell you, uh, I, I know about churches um, where the expectations and, and the job description are not clear and the people are constantly fighting the pastor about how he spends his time. So some of this, some of this is an issue of priorities for us. Some of it is an issue of priorities for the church. What is it that you actually want your pastor doing? And have you made that clear to them? Yeah. And you have to lay that out before you call them as your pastor, because if the theology can line up, even some of the priorities on paper can line up, but if you don't put on paper, what you, what your expectations are, Mm -hmm. then no matter how great your pastor is, you're setting them up for failure. You're setting yourself up for failure. So like for, like, I've not really had any issues uh, where I'm at, although your dad is a monster visitor. Mm -hmm. Um, We've talked a little bit about that and I'm, I'm, I do the best that I can. I really do. And I'm trying to get better. And and I think people know that people see that. And, and I try to go out of my way, whether it's on Sunday or Wednesdays, when we have our services that I will try to go out of my way to see people that I haven't talked to, Um, you know, because I want them to feel welcome. I want them to, you know, I want to know how I can be praying for them. Yeah. Um, but you know, I can only, um, I only have so much emotional bandwidth and I only have so much just bandwidth period. And, you know, my, my Bible studies, I mean, I probably spend somewhere between five and 10 hours to prepare, um, for a Wednesday Bible study. I probably spend 15 to 20 hours on a sermon. So right there, you're talking, um, half to two thirds of my time is in delivering, um, the scriptures, which are my greatest. Pro- so we talk about ministry priorities. My greatest priorities are delivering the word of God. Now, delivering let me, the word of God. Let me, let, me, let me ask you a question though, because I'm I'm totally in agreement with you on that. But I think this this actually comes back a little bit to the issue of priorities and communication. Mm-hmm. Did you communicate that to your church before they hired you? Yes. Awesome. So I I, t- I told them and, and I. And I didn't really follow through as well as I, as, as I wish I had, but I said in my first year, I'm going to focus on three things. Mm-hmm. They all start with a P because, you know, pastors and preachers like to alliterate. So mm-hmm. um, preaching, prayer, and people. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to focus on preaching, you know, delivering the word of God. I thought that that was paramount. I wanted to focus on prayer because prayer because that's our call prayer ministry of the word but also mm-hmm. people you got to know the people on how to pray for them and also how to preach to them and, and lead them yeah um but i've also you know looked at the role of being an overseer so how can i help oversee the church so how can i do the other things so part of that is 
training the, my fellow leaders, helping lead them well, um, helping establish like we've done some constitutional changes as I've gone through it and noticed some things that need to get changed so that we can be more effective and efficient as a congregation, maybe even get more biblically sound. Like we had a limit on um, seven deacons and deaconesses in the church. And I said, well, where in the Bible is there a limit to deacons and deaconesses? Mm-hmm. And what happens if you only have three eligible and qualified deacons and deaconesses? Now, what do you do? Yeah. Um, so let's, let's just adjust this. And it was very well received. Mm-hmm. So I think that's because of the, you know, people heard the Bible and they go, Oh, okay. Got yeah. it. Now, Tom made, a, I think, a helpful comment about lots of phone calls during social distancing. And this sort of connects to the point that um, I think Glenn made earlier, which is that priorities are fluid. So mm-hmm. the, the importance of those priorities should probably generally stay the same, but the order in which you address certain things changes. So um, the, the way that we've spent time during this season of ministry is going to be different than the way that we would spend it when the church is open. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's just the nature of work. I, I, I appreciate, Eric, you sharing about um, communicating with your congregation what your priorities are. I know that there were two things that I made very clear to them when I got here. Um, the first was that teaching was my first duty, not my only duty, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a, 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 the, that was priority number one. And the second thing I made clear to them is, Look, I'm going to I'm going to work hard for you. If you call me in the middle of the night with a sick family member, I'm going to come see you. However, know that I have young children. I'm not going to be at every church event. And I made that clear to them from the beginning. And maybe some people didn't like that, didn't think that that that's appropriate for a pastor. Um, But before they hired me and and right at the beginning, right after they hired me so that they would know what they were getting into. I said, look, here are my priorities. I want to make sure you understand them. Um, so that you understand why I make the choices that I do in terms of how I spend my time. Yeah, and I think there there has to be a trust there. And obviously, either you're you're still working on building that trust, or they trusted you right from the outset, or maybe they were just kind of um, wish you know they were hopeful, like okay, we're going to take this man at his word, and we pray that he lives up to what he has to say. Mm-hmm. But you should never call a pastor that you feel like you um, like they're going to be slothful or lazy, mm-hmm. but you have, but you need to give them the freedom to do what God's calling them to do. And, and let's face it. Unfortunately, the people who read the most books, who, who try to understand God's word in the ministry and the church and all that, the ones who are most apt to know what a pastor should be doing is usually the pastor because they've read so much about it. Right. And, and it can be overwhelming at times. So a lot of people, they are informed as to what a pastor should be doing based on how they were raised. And as we talked about this past Tuesday, oftentimes how we're raised has more to do with culture and less to do with what the scriptures have to say. So, um, you know, the scriptures speak to prayer, ministry of the word and oversight. So you should be overseeing the, the shepherding care of your congregation, but that doesn't, you know, your church, you have agreed with your leaders, which I think is tremendous. Pastor Luke, you need to be, um, we want you to visit mm-hmm. each family once a year, at least once a year. Mm-hmm. Great. How we've done it at my church is we've now kind of divided up. We can't, we um, just pulled names out of a hat. 
We prayerfully pray, put names. We prayed for every single person in the church and prayed that God would lead us and direct us and guide us. And then uh, pull names out of a hat and each deacon and deaconess are responsible for a family. And I'm, mo- and I'm particularly responsible for the deacons and deaconesses in their spiritual care. And their responsibility is to alert me of emergency situations and things like, hey, I think you need to give so-and-so a call or give them a visit, write them a card, whatever, just to mm-hmm. keep up with them. Yeah. And that's how we've de- you know, that's how we've decided to to take care of that. And there's wisdom in both. There's no one right way. There are multiple ways to skin a cat. Now, what's your um, cutoff time today? Cutoff time of what? It's 3.04. I've still got time, but I don't want to make you late. For I've anything. got time, man. I, I have resigned myself to the fact that I'm probably working late into the night this evening. <laughs> Not because of this podcast, but I have a mission and a goal to accomplish a specific um, a specific project. And if I don't finish it in the time that I've allotted myself, I will self-flagellate, you know, just be like the, uh, the what is it? the uh, uh, That Catholic sect that like, um, hits themselves, you know, uh-huh. uh, as a form of repentance. Yeah, so. sounds like a personal problem. Uh, <laughs> one thing I wanted to bring up, which is a lesson that I'm actually learning very recently. Um, I think when I first stepped on as pastor, I sort of had this view in terms of priorities of everyone in the congregation, uh, because they're all of equal value, right, in the eyes of God, they are all of equal priority for me. And one of the things I've learned recently is that is actually impossible because people have varying levels of engagement mm-hmm. with the ministry of the church. And so uh, I know early on, I sort of took this approach of like, okay, I'm going to every, uh, you know, whatever my timeline was, whether, whether it was like every four, every six weeks, I'm going to call through the, um, the directory. Like I'm going to call everybody. And there was something I found. Uh, there were some people who called me back right away, and there were some who never called me back. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fine. That's okay. However, I no longer give the same amount of effort to make contact and build relationship with the people who don't call me back. Not because I'm angry or they've done something wrong, but just because I've had to recognize there are different levels of engagement. And I think this is a biblical principle. Because you see in the followers of Jesus, there were the 120 who were sort of still around at the end in the upper room. There were the 12 and there were the three. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, out of compassion, served everyone who came to him, but not everyone got equal access. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I've been learning is that part of prioritizing in ministry is actually prioritizing people, that recognizing that there are people who are uh, willing and eager to grow and learn under your direction. Um, and there are those who, not necessarily that it's wrong, but just aren't. And it's okay for your priorities in terms of people to be different depending on the level of engagement. And that's something that I've learned maybe in the past couple months, honestly. Yeah, I I think, uh, I, I want to phrase it a little bit differently. I agree with you at what you're saying by because I saw someone else phrase it somewhat differently and I appreciated what they had to say. And it was that each person in their different level of engagement has a different level. They really prioritize themselves within the life of the church because you have people who are naturally 
um, they have a different level of buy-in factor, mm-hmm. right? So, so for one person, they might be really, their idea of being really committed to the church is coming once a month, like one Sunday a month. They don't really participate in any Bible studies. They're not really looking for the pastor to reach out to them um, or anything like that. And then you have, you have those folks who come, you know, maybe two or three times a month. That's like a whole nother level of buy-in factor. And maybe they come once on a Sunday and then like twice on a, on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. They'll come to church and, you know, they're, they're somewhat receptive to hearing from the pastor. Um, and then you kind of have this progression until you have the people that are like fully bought in, right? Like they, they, uh, they're there every time the doors are open to the church, they will drop whatever they're do- doing. If the pastor calls, they want you to visit them at, at work and at home. Like the more time you spend with them, they just eat it up. Right. Well, the pastor also has the ability to influence some of that in their reaching out to folks. So sometimes you can see someone go from like, Oh, I'll come once a month. Um, to, if you spend a little bit more time reaching out to them, make a little bit much more, a little bit more effort, maybe they'll start coming to some other things. Mm-hmm. Now we need to get outside of the mindset that church is a destination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is something special that happens when the congregation gathers together as a body. And that person who only shows up once a month doesn't get that. Um, don't be mad at them, <laughs> you know, and in our own self-righteousness as pastors, we can often think that people are stupid because they don't agree with what we think the Bible teaches. Mm-hmm. I've had to wrestle with that before, and, and I'm sure many other pastors have as well, but we have to understand that each of us is growing at the rate in which God has called us to, and there should be a desire there for them to gather with their fellow saints, but there just isn't yet. So yeah. maybe a little bit of extra effort can help them get there. Uh, but the church is also responsible in caring for those individuals. So even if that person only shows up once a month, if they're on your church rolls, this is, this is where church membership is incredibly important. If they're on church, I view if they are part of your church, they're on your church rolls. They are a member of your church. You yeah. must stand before the Lord with your fellow leaders and give an account for what you've done in their lives. Hmm. Um, but you have to do that for everyone too. So, so naturally you will have some people who you can pour more into because you're, you're going to have more access to them and they're going to have more access to you. But mm-hmm. we also can't neglect those folks who are maybe not as far along. We might not have as many opportunities. We might try to seek opportunities to help move them along, but mm-hmm. not just us ourselves, but also our fellow leaders. You yeah. shouldn't be the only one reaching out to us. Right, right. And I, I can I can say with, uh, you know, and I'm so thankful for this. I'm at a church where almost every time I call someone, they go, oh, yeah, I was just talking to so-and-so. Um, so there, there's a lot of interconnectedness in my church where I don't feel like I, I carry the sole burden of connecting with people. I like this illustration that uh, Robin posted. Illustration about levels of engagement. Some people stand, stand on the street. Some will sit on the front porch. Some will come inside your living room and some will eat in your kitchen. Yeah, that's good. And to Eric's point, we should be seeking to minister to all of them and draw them in, right? Where, wherever they are. And not draw them into a place, but into the people, right? Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, we're not trying to win people to a great worship service. We're trying to win people to Christ. Yeah. Although I still don't like that term. I'll use it because it's what people are familiar with. We're trying to see people know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of that, Jesus calls us to worship him. Um, you know, like I really struggle with the folks who they treat their 
their savior as though he's just a throwaway. Mm. You know, he's the icing on the cake. No, he is everything. Yeah. He's everything. Now let me um let me throw another sort of thing at you here as far as prioritization within ministry, because I just said prioritization of people is something I just learned, but I also think I'm in the middle of something that I'm currently learning. Um obviously there is a there is a clear command in scripture to honor elders and by elders i don't just mean leaders i mean those who are older and to visit the sick right Mm -hmm. i I think it's important for that to be a part of a church's ministry i think it's important for it to be a part of a pastor's ministry Mm -hmm. however when that becomes almost all the pastor does i've noticed sometimes that young people start and, and young people are tough to get in the door sometimes no matter what you do but but i've noticed that sometimes uh i see churches where like they're asking where are the young people and then I look at their ministry model and there's no, almost no attention given. Like there's in terms of priorities, like what are you actually doing to try to serve or minister to them? Um, and that's something I'm wrestling with right now is um, I want to continue to honor the, the elders of my congregation. And I certainly want to continue to visit the sick. However, um, I am starting to make it more and more of a priority to carve out time to, uh, and this is something that you actually um, really convicted me of last year when we were meeting with those younger pastors and you spoke about discipleship and raising young leaders, as I realized I wasn't doing any of that. Um, and I think there is a, a simple reality that, um, for so for example, Jesus called James and John, not Zebedee, uh, which isn't to say that that, look, no matter what age you are, Jesus is calling you and not just calling you to salvation, but to work in his kingdom, right? And if you're willing and ready, I'll take you. However, who is it that I'm targeting in terms of discipleship? Um, and I think more and more, I am targeting young men. And I, I think that is a priority that I, I didn't always see modeled in other churches I've been a part of. And I think I saw the congregation suffer for it. Well, I think, I think, you know, you're right. Um, like I look at when, when we talk about prioritizing people, those who are sick, um, whether they're in the hospital or whatever, they get to the front burner as far as my reaching out, whether it's to go visit or give them a phone call. So I, I say I, I try to aim at three phone calls or visits a week. I usually probably hit more than that, probably between five and seven. Right. Um, and it's because like, I have these people that are on my list. I'm going to call or visit this week. And then, Hey, so-and-so is in the hospital hmm. or someone just got, you know, whatever it might be. So I'm um, depending on what the situation is. Obviously that's different now, but um, you know, so that's how I prioritize And that really, depending on what I have to do, that could be anywhere from taking a day out of my week or it could be taking um, a couple of hours. Sometimes it could be a couple of days if, if someone's far away, you know, because for us, we're in a rural um, part of the state where, you know, depending on which hospital someone's at, it could be an hour long drive. So yeah, but right. in the midst of that, in that hour, I mean, how many phone calls can, can I give? Can, right. I, can I make, you know? So, so back to the young people. Yeah. I, I think one of the struggles is that the church um, as a whole hasn't done well in trying to figure out how to make disciples they've it's been very program programmatic and has relied heavily on an institutional model 
and younger folks today are not as keen on institutional models. Perfect example. If you ask someone who is 16 to 28 years old right now, maybe even younger, if you ask them what their favorite basketball team is, a lot of times it is not the team in which they are like, say you live in Massachusetts. I had kids. Yeah. They were kind of Celtics fans, but man, were they Steph Curry fans, right? And he plays for the Warriors. So <clears throat> you you have um, kids that, you know, when I was a kid, man, I was a diehard Celtics fan and a, and a Bulls fan because of Michael Jordan. But you have, you have this younger generation that focuses less on the institution and more on kind of like almost like a relationship. Why? Because mm-hmm. Steph Curry, man, dude, out in, the, out in the backyard, he's got a sweet jump shot. He's kind of got this swagger about him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see him in the commercials, you see him in all this stuff, and you start to believe that you start having a relationship with this individual. Mm-hmm. Well, same thing with, the, with um, the church. You know, a lot of people have left the church because they've been kind of dis, uh, disillusioned with the institution of the church. And in some respects, I get it. Although the problem is that the church is not really an institution. It's the body of Christ. Mm. So you can't really leave the body of Christ once you're in it. Right. Um, so we do have to think through how best to reach young people. Every church does, but you're right. So many churches, they want the pastor to do all the visitation of, uh, and if it's a view of a 80 person church and 60 of them are over the age of 65, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of visits, man. And you're mm. not going to be able to pour into the younger the younger generation yeah. and, the, and the congregation has to sort through what what's our calling what do we need do we need a chaplain to help us to our deathbed or do we need someone who's going to be missional and thinking through how we can you know share the gospel in our community yeah but this is this is also where we get once again back to the difference between a um pastor-centered model and a i, I would not even i wouldn't even uh, just the idea, just the idea that um, the work of the church is done by the church, right? Now you can say that the pastor is the primary um, teacher. You can say that he's the primary administrator in some churches. You can say that he's the primary, maybe even organizer. I'm not a great organizer administrator, but I know some are. Um, but the pastor does not do the work of the church. The church does. And so that includes ministry to the church, like the primary workers in terms of ministry to the congregation should be the elders and the congregants. It's okay. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Now I'm going to try to do this without my dogs barking too much. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. But if you look, can you hear me okay? Or is it picking up the dog real bad? I can hear you. So Ephesians 4.11, we don't have to say it. The Bible says it. Paul says it in what he says, right? So Ephesians 4.11, and I'm going to go through, I think, 12. Um, Paul says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. 
the the purpose of the pastor in the in the leaders of the church is to equip the congregation to carry out the mission of God to be built up into mature manhood. Now let's understand this. Um, we have a lot of um, we have a lot of twenty year old kids in our congregation that are still sucking on 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 the teat, right? They're, they are still sucking on that milk um, to be fed. And that is unhealthy. That's unhealthy as having a 20-year-old son at home uh, living in your basement playing Fortnite and having to go to his mother for food. Um, that is not healthy, right? Um, same as someone who just stays in the faith and just goes, well, I'm just going to be here for once a month and, you know, just don't ask or, me to do it. Or, or Eric, I'll be there three times a week, but don't expect me to do anything. Well, at least with the person who shows up once a month, at least you know, you know, at least they kind of know where they stand. Like they know they're not really fully bought in. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times people who are there three times a week fool themselves into thinking that they have matured in the faith. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not saying that, I mean, I'm surely not fully matured. Um, I'm glad you can recognize that. <laughs> but I, I mean, you can tell that you're maturing in the faith when you recognize how great your sin truly is. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, but you also, through knowing how great your sin is, you realize how great your God is and how merciful he is. And, and the balm of that salvation is applied to you through the Holy Spirit. And you cry out in thankfulness to God, towards, towards God for his mercy. So that's mature, that is maturing in the faith. Mm -hmm. Maturing in the faith is not showing up three times a week. Now, let me, let me ask you one more thing before we should probably bring it to a wraps in the next 10 minutes or so. Okay. Um, but let me ask you one more thing, going back to sort of personal priorities, but I think it is also connected to priorities of ministry. And I'll tell you, it's something, it's another thing I'm still wrestling with, which is um, uh, how do I set aside time that is just for the Lord? Because I, we have the privilege of uh, basically being paid to study the Bible. It's mm -hmm. awesome. And I have, I have done more study of the Bible in the past year and a half, honestly, um, than maybe at any other time in my life, including when I was at Bible school, which is which has been amazing. I forget where did you go for Bible college? I went to Judson, Judson University. Never heard. Actually, of it. I didn't go to a strictly Bible school. I went to a, a Baptist school when I, and I got a degree. I uh, basically double majored in uh, Bible and church music. Okay. Um, but if you were to look at like what courses I took, I. I, I essentially get it'd be the same as if I went to a Bible college and, and got a, a bachelor's degree there. But the, so it's been awesome. However, I will tell you, um, I, I am not really all that faithful about time where I'm not working on something when I'm in the scriptures. And so on the one hand, I actually do see where I'm growing spiritually just by being in the word because it has that kind of power. But I've not yet really established some of the spiritual disciplines that I know many other pastors have, where time in the Word and in prayer, um, they set aside that time every day that has nothing to do. Or I mean, maybe they'll they'll pray about you know the people of the church or or ask God to help them with their work. But it's not that they're working. That's that's something they would do whether they were working for a church or not. So what's your experience then with with making you know we both said at the beginning of the of this. Uh, podcast well god's the first priority but how does how does that play out in your day-to-day -day life uh for me personally it's been an ongoing process of of learning and refining um i think 
we have to be really clear um, on like our, I, I look at being a pastor and I shared this earlier as a layer of my life. I'm at, at no second of the day. Am I not a pastor, whether I'm a pastor to my kids or to my wife mm-hmm. and, and I need to shepherd their hearts as I shepherd the hearts of my congregation, the people that God has entrusted to me as an under shepherd. But um, a, as such, I mean, I pray for my congregation as much as I hope as much as some other people in my church are praying for the rest of the congregation. I have the uh, benefit, I guess, of that being a part of my job, you know? So I don't look at it when I'm praying, you know, and I do, I pray for my congregation every single day. Um, I usually wake up at about six o'clock in the morning, no matter how late I was uh, up the night before. And I get up, I get my cup of coffee, get open my Bible. I usually have some sort of other work that I, and I say work like another book or, or something that I'm reading as part of my devotional time. And, um, I also have the Advent Christian catechism that I've been reading through. That's part of my devotion. And I usually read some Psalms and, and pray, um, to God and pray for, pray for my congregation as, as many needs as I can recall. Mm-hmm. And I pray for myself. I pray for my family and all that. But I don't necessarily look at that as like a, hey, this is my work. This is to me. I look at it as this is my privilege. No, right? no, no. But, but that's my that's my point is even if you weren't a pastor of a church, you would still do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I think we have to be um, zealous in guarding that time. So you know, for me, I'm okay being an early riser. Someone else might not. Like my wife doesn't like waking up early, um, and that's okay. Like that, that's just what makes us unique, but I can wake up at six o'clock in the morning and I can have an hour, um, maybe even two hours if I'm lucky without the kids coming down and, and, and kind of getting <laughs> almost in the way. Cause I just need that time. I need that time with the Lord. And if I don't have it, I'm missing something. And I sense it. Hmm. Um, so I, I try to be very, I, I don't have a Bible reading plan. I know some pastors do, um, you know, I have begun to, I did this before and I'm redoing it where I'm holding myself accountable by writing essentially my devotion out. So based on the Advent Christian catechism, actually, because it's perfect. It has a biblical um, question answer in there and it has the scripture and I meditate on that. And then I write that out usually in like a three paragraph format um, because that helps me. That really helps me. And if we look at those who came before us, whether it's the Puritans, the reformers, or even people at the turn of the last century, those guys were, were producing so many works, so much stuff. Well, part of it, I think, is that they wrote in the midst of every aspect of their life. It's almost, they were writing their prayers. They were writing their devotions. They were writing their sermons. They were writing all this stuff. So it's like they were always writing something because that's just naturally what came out of their time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So for us as pastors, I mean, for me, it's helpful. Um, when I don't, when I don't write, I don't think that my time is as profitable with the Lord. So it's kind of like, as my writing goes, as so does my, my communion with God. Do we want to close with the catechism? Why not, man? I just talked about it. Yeah. A nice little plug there. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, by the way, you can, you can go and pick this up on Amazon. Um, you can also probably, I, I think if, if Meredith is on here, she might be able to put the link down. Meredith Broadway, she works at ACGC um, 
phenomenal, phenomenal person and just does terrific work um, for them. Um, but I, I, you know, if you're part of our tradition, the Advent Christian tradition, or if you're part of, say, another tradition, I highly encourage you, read your catechisms, um, meditate on it, pray through it. Um, it is a real tool for God to be working in your heart. Um, it, it really is. And, and you'll find it fruitful. Um, the Christian faith is something that is robust. It is something that um, if you are a critical thinker and you like to think through things, it is not shallow and it does cause you to think through mm-hmm. stuff, um, which you and I, I think have had that conversation before. So yeah. um, anyway, we're going to look at question and answer 13. So Luke, does God know all things? Probably most things. Ah, you'd be wrong, Pastor Luke. Yes, nothing can be hidden from God. And in fact, they um, it's on your screen. I wish they had an exclamation point after yes or after God. I don't, I don't care. One of the two, I want it to be exclaimed from the rooftops that nothing can be hidden from God. And um, the, the scripture that goes with it is from 1 John 3, 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. A couple of things here, Luke. A couple of things. Chime in when you can. Um, what a blessing it is for our hearts to feel that condemnation before the Lord. And I say that because in, God, in our hearts sensing that condemnation, we learn a few things. One, we learn, wow. I am within the hands of God. He has saved me because if he had not saved me, if he had not changed my heart, I would not feel that condemnation. Mm. Um, two, we find the blessing in that God is working in us. So we, we, we have the sense of God in us. He, he's, he's convicting our hearts and he's drawing us closer to him. But it reminds us of his goodness because when we see the law of God, we must then see the grace of God, the cross that is found in Christ. It is a beautiful thing to feel that condemnation and then to be free from it. Mm. Yeah. You know, on the subject of God knowing all things, I think one thing that the Lord's really been teaching me lately, um, because because I was raised in the church and I did hear the gospel from such a young age, which I'm very grateful for. I think so often I I think of God uh, sort of first as savior, when in fact, um, the, the, uh, if you, if you sort of go back to the very beginning, the first relationship we have with God or the first connection we have with God is with him as creator. Mm-hmm. And the Lord's really showing me just how much of his nature and his relationship with me has to do with the fact that he is creator. God knows all things because he made all things. Boom. That's perfect, man. You sound like a pastor. <laughs> listen that is that is the beautiful thing about god is he yeah. is simultaneously he's always pointing to himself he's either pointing you to himself by by bringing you under condemnation because of your sinfulness or he is pointing you to himself by giving you the overwhelming understanding of his grace and his mercy that is found in the blood of jesus christ that's the gospel man and we need to be preaching that to ourselves Six o'clock in the morning when we wake up and we got or, that we got or, that dinosaur. Or two o'clock a.m. If you're not a six o'clock in the morning person, do it late at night. Just make sure you do it. Two listen, nothing good happens at two o'clock in the morning. I will tell you. Do you know Kenny Lattimore? 
at all? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does his best sermon prep at two in the morning. Are you serious? Yes. Because he's exhausted? No, no, no. Because that's when he works. That's when he's productive. Really? Yes. He's that like a gerbil. A gerbil? <laughs> that's, when they, that's when they get real active. Is that two o'clock in the morning? Is it is in those wee hours in the morning? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, Kenny also I'm, runs like a gerbil. He never stops. I'm just glad you're not comparing me to a gerbil. That's okay. This I compared I compared Mark to a four cylinder car earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's good on gas mileage, but it's got no power. It's got no strength. Well, uh, I do think I do think there's a lesson here today which is that an hour is the limit of our audience i think we scared off all the viewers well uh yeah that's fine we still have seven so. we st i still had a great time i did i did um, all right you want to close it out you go ahead bud all right father thank you so much for the chance to talk about this uh thank you for um the help of your holy spirit in making these decisions lord sometimes uh Prioritizing is difficult, but we know that when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all other things will be added unto us. Amen. Amen, man. Later, haters. See you guys. See you on Tuesday.